It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, today's show is going to be kind of a Mary Poppins bag of, of topics that we want to cover to a degree, Bo, you were the inspiration for part of this, is because you had sent me some links over from some articles you had read and decided we'd roll with it because I think you never can tell people who, especially young people, all those that are under the age of 30, it's not a bad time to start saving for the future. And I think you get this, you know, sometimes you get an email or you see an article and the heading just grabs you so much, you're like, holy cow, I have to read that article. And, uh, and this one, it says it's an open letter to everyone under the age of 30. And so I kind of thought, hey, yeah, I need to need to read that article. And I read it, and it hit me, and I was like, man, this is something that I need to, I sent it out to you, I sent it out to Gabe, because um, I think it's an awesome piece. I think it did a great job kind of putting some fundamental stuff in there. We, we got to read the first part, because I think that's so true, and that's such a cool illustration that people don't think about a whole lot. And just so we don't run off everybody who's over the age of 30, because I fall in that category myself, is that... I know a lot of us, and I've said this before, that when you listen to the show, you might be the influence of many people in your circle uh, that you hang out with. You might have children. You might have, um, you know, coworkers who are younger that you wish they knew what you kind of knew know now, what you've kind of learned from life. And that's what this ho- podcast, hopefully, even if you are over the age of 30, you'll be able to pick that up. And then we're going to close out the show with... Consumer Reports had a whole article in the August issue about 401ks and how your 401ks, they can be great, but a lot of 401ks out there are not so good. And we run into this a lot with our clients is that we, we review their 401ks and we just have to love the woman they're with. Right. Um, and it talks about fees. It talks about selection, diversification. So we're going to kind of go over how to make sure you have a good 401k. And if you don't, things that you can take to your employer and try to negotiate a little better plan, you know, some tactics that they have found from their research that are pretty effective on making that happen. Um, Also, let me do a little house cleaning. This is the Money Guy Show. You can go check us out, money-guy.com. You can write the show. Um, You can write me directly at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com, or Bo, B-O, at money-guy.com. And we just appreciate you guys listening. We've had, you know, a lot of iTunes comments that have kept us relevant. Stitcher.com, we continue to kind of climb up the charts, so... Thanks, guys, for, for following that stuff. And then if you're one of those people who really want to stay on top of things, check us out on Twitter. Bo, give us the, the handle for Twitter. Yeah, it's at Money Guy Podcast. We try to put some uh, some daily updates up there, whether it be an inspirational quote, cool article we read, or just kind of let you know what's going on with us uh, in between these shows every two weeks. And for those, if you go to the website, um, you can sign up for a free subscription that will let you get a few extra shows to download, but it'll also get you on our, our email list. Every time we do a new show, we'll blast out just to give you an update so you know what we got going on. And those that really want to get their dose of Money Guy, um, you know, pay for the premium. That opens you up all the way back to 2006 to listen to all of our back episodes as well as our quarterly commentary. And we have a few other little sweeteners that we've put out there as well to hopefully add value to your personal finances. So, Let's first jump right in. I want to kind of, we got a letter from a friend of the show. And, you know, last episode we did was estate planning 101. And I thought it was important. Sometimes, you know, unfortunately, bad things happen. And those bad things that happen can be the things that shock you into saying, hey, I need to, I need to focus on this. So, you know, we did estate planning 101 was the last episode. Well, one of our close friends of the show, he's even 
Um, Logan has come up and even had lunch with Bo and myself. Um, we, we took him to one of the finest, um, finest dining establishments in all the land. It, it really is. But, um, Logan is a, you know, he, he's a police officer by day, but loves listening to the money guy show. Well, he, his wife has recently had, a, he wrote me a letter and we actually got this letter less than two hours ago. And I thought it was just relevant to bring it to, to everybody's attention. His wife has had some medical conditions. Um, everything's good now. Looks like she's even going to be able to go back to work in the, in the next few weeks. But he wrote, um, it says, I love learning about investing and preparing for retirement, but I must confess, I usually don't enjoy learning and reading about disability insurance and life insurance. This situation was a wake up call for me. I learned firsthand how important it is for young people, especially with children, because Logan's still in his twenties, by the way, to keep that solid emergency fund and have proper insurance. And I just want to share with you guys, you know, because he didn't talk about the wills and the estate plan, because fortunately, Logan's wife is going to be fine, and we got, you know, good things in their future, but it doesn't always work out that way. Bo, you you know, you've had some some tragedy in your life. You know, I lost my father at a young age. All these things are unknowns, so make sure if you haven't gone and checked out the Estate Planning 101 episode that we did last time, Go catch up on that because it's an important one. And I think I think Lo, I think Logan he said it perfectly. The next line of his email says, "Having cash reserves and the proper insurance made this financial nuisance. You know the unexpected medical bills. It made it a nuisance and not a financial disaster. And I think that's exactly why we have insurance, emergency reserves, and all those things to protect against the, those disasters. Preparing for the unexpected. Um, here's. So let's start off with the topic here, an open letter to everyone under the age of 30. And this was actually on the Motley Fool website. And it was one of their columnists is Morgan. We had a whole debate about this. I believe it's Housel. It's basically house with an L at the end. Um, but Morgan did a really good job of putting together some motivation. It's an open letter to everyone under the age of 30. And I'm going to kind of read this, but then not read the whole article, but I'm going to read the example he gives in the beginning because this is what you liked about. So so here's what he talks about. He says, there's an old story about a guy taking a smoke break with his non-smoking colleague. And this is what the the quote is. How long have you been smoking for? The colleague asked. 30 years, says the smoker. 30 years, marvels the co-worker. That costs so much money. At a pack a day, you're spending $1,900 a year. Had you instead invested that money at an 8% return for the last 30 years, you've had, you'd have $250,000 in the bank today. That's enough to buy a Ferrari. Okay, first of all, if this is what you're talking about <laughs> on your smoke break, you guys, something's not right about you. I mean, we are money geeks, and we don't even talk like that, but still I think the point is, is very good. So the smoker looked puzzled. Do you smoke, he asked his coworker. No. So where's your Ferrari? How freaking true is that? It is true. I mean, it is interesting. I think a lot of us, you know, we, we look at smokers and we look at other people who might have the coffee habit and we think, wow, they're wasting so much money. But at the end of the day, if we're not doing our own saving and planning for the future, are we really any better than anybody who might have one of those those habits that is probably taking a little bit out of their back pocket Um you know, and, and stealing it from the future to a, to a large degree. Um, I thought that he went into some statistics that I thought really added a lot to it as well. It said less than 60% of Americans, Americans are saving anything. And two thirds of those who are, who are have less than 25,000 salted away. I guess salted is another way, way of saying saved. Away, yeah. But, um, but let's look at that again. 
60% are saving. So it's it's less than 60. So that means 40% of Americans are saving anything. Right. And of that 40%, two-thirds of those have less than $25,000. So in other words, if you have more than $25,000, you're in the top third of the 40% the saving. And, and let's talk about for a second what, what $25,000 socked away really means. Because, you know, we talk about it all the times because we do wealth management for clients who are looking to retire and live off of their portfolio assets. To, so to kind of put it in that perspective, if you were to just assume a 5% withdrawal rate in retirement, $25,000 saved could generate you income of about $1,250 a year. A year. A year. So we're it's talking about a month. $104 a month. Yeah, that's nothing. It's not really, that's not really replacing a whole lot of income for you. It, it also goes a little deeper. It says almost half of Ameri- half of Americans couldn't come up with $2,000 in the next month if they had to, according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. And then Americans age 55 to 64 have a median net worth of $180,000. That's less than what they'll even need to cover their health care costs. So, um, this is this is troubling, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with, and, and he goes on, this is what Morgan explains, most people don't take advantage of their most precious asset. And this is the, the powerful thing that Albert Einstein even talked about, which is compounding interest and the value of time. Time is the, the most important thing you have when you're young and why you need to start when you're, you know, as early as possible. Um, it goes, it goes on. It says, when you think about building money for retirement, you focus on earning more money later in your career. And why not? And we've talked about this. When we go do 401k presentations, Bo, how often do we show that, that, you know, side by side of the person who graduates college and they say, you know what? I'm going to reward myself and just live it out for the next 10 years. But as soon as I, you know, make it into my early thirties, I'm going to get very serious about this whole saving for the future. And then we have the person who just started saving right out of college, saved for 10 years and stopped. And people are always shocked when we show them the person who saved for 10 years and then stopped and did not save any more has more money than the person who saved for 25 years, um, you know, just because that value of that first 10 years of investing. Uh, This is the first time I had seen it actually listed in actual dollar forms. Um, because he had taken the assumption that, you know, a lot of the, the the historical research shows that after inflation, the S&P 500 for the last 150 years has generated 6.6%. Now, when I say after inflation, realize inflation is somewhere between 3 and 4%. So he's actually talking about between 10 and 11% total annualized rate of return. Um, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get that every year. That's why you have to say the word annualized. Right. Um, but it, but it is 6.6% above inflation. But if you just look at that compounding factor, if you start saving when you're 20 years old, every dollar that you invest by the time you turn age 65 will be worth $18.50. Say, I mean, say that again. Cause that when I remember when I read that, I was like, is that, is that right? It's like a dollar turning into $20. That's so exactly it, what it is. So, and, and I did this, I started thinking about it because what he also showed in the research was that a lot of us think when we're young, we can put off saving because, you know, I'll make twice as much money when I'm older. So if I come out of school making $30,000, you think, hey, for sure, when I'm getting close to retirement, I'll be making a hundred grand. So I'll be able to save a lot more money. So, you know, I'll, I'll just wait and I'll do it then right. because I'll be making three times as much money as I'm doing now. Now, the research shows you'll probably only be making two times what you come out of college or out of school making. But, you know, in your mind, you might say, I'm going to be making three to four times. 
If you take what that research shows, $1 turning into 20 I did it. I know when I graduated college, my first job paid me $28,000 a year. And so I multiplied that by 18 and a half. So I multiplied 28,000 by 18 and a half. That's $518,000 a year. That's a lot of money to be making. Yeah, so that's, not so a, that's not a bad income. That, that is a, so that's significantly larger than the two to three times that the research really shows. Right. So that's why every dollar that you put into an investment is going to be worth substantial amounts of money in the future. And remember, the whole purpose of saving for the future is you're trying to build up your army of dollars. I mean, you know, no matter how good you are with your mind, no, how, no matter how good you are with your hands and your back, at some point, your ultimate goal is to be financially independent and have your dollar bills, your army of dollar bills, working for you, earning more than you can make with your brain, your hands, your back. That's your ultimate goal. And the way you do that is by starting as early as possible in the savings. I thought it was interesting because it ties into that, that case study we always show at 401k meetings, Bo. If you wait until you're age 30, every dollar you invest from age 30 by age 65 it's worth $9.6. So still very healthy. Basically, you're turning a dollar into $10. But it is amazing that 10-year difference cuts that money in half. That's right. Um, and, and I even did the, the analysis, just being silly, if you looked at his research, an average person who's 30 has an annual income of about $37,000 a year. Multiply that by 9.6. That's 355000 So still a better deal than just thinking, hey, my salary will grow at a rate that's faster than my investing could go. Right, right. That's not that's that's, that's that's fool's gold. You'll, you're you're totally shooting yourself in the foot if you're not putting that money to work. Um, I got a call today, Bo, and I wasn't even, we didn't even talk about this in pre-planning for the show from a, a, an attorney. You know, I told you some funny stories because right, I right. still remember him when he was like five years old, and now he's a he's an attorney in the community, and then his wife is an attorney, and they're doing really well. And, you know, and it's one of those things where you're calling, and they were asking about doing a second home. Okay. And, and they're, they're right, if I had to guess, because, see, now I'm still on school bus age, but I, I probably early 30s. Okay. But, but doing pretty well in life. And this is the only thing that scares me is that I know I have made mistakes like this, too. When you go th- start thinking about when you have a little bit of success and you start thinking about that second house, or, or buying, you know, something that's recreational that maybe is not the best use of your money, this article really hits hard. And this is what, you know, I tried to explain that every dollar that you don't put to work, it really can come back and make you have to work that much further, much harder and put you behind. Now, I'm not saying be a miser. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. I'm just saying make sure you pay yourself first. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm going to get into that in a minute with the Consumer Reports article on 401ks. But do think about that before you go take on big obligations. Because, Bo, you've talked to me about family members and others who have talked to you about all they paid attention to was what the monthly payment was. If they could service the debt, they thought that meant they could afford it. So if it was $200 a month, that meant they could afford it, not realizing they had, you know, a $25,000 outstanding balance. So long as they could do the monthly payment, they, they can make it work. And <laughs> He's the same family members who would finance their car over like 72 months, which is, you know, never, never the best idea. And, and when I was talking to the, this attorney and he was telling me about his wife, he was thinking about it more from, he thought it was going to be somewhat of an investment. But if you have an investment that's actually costing you cash flow and it's not paying you, it's not creating its own army of dollar bills working for you, 
that's more of a, a consumption use. Right. You know, I think you'd used it, Bo. I don't want to use the lottery example, but it is. It's, it's, it's a, a personal use, use asset. asset yeah. It's a personal use asset that you might, and the key word is might make money off of, but it's not necessarily something that's going to grow for you. Right. And, and that's what I would ask you to key into is when you're putting together your plan, pay yourself first. Um, the Consumer Reports article I'm about to quote in a minute references 10%. Remember, I always think if you can become a hyper saver, that whole millionaire next door, Hyper saver philosophy. I want you saving fifteen to twenty percent of your gross income. If you can do that, life is going to get much easier. Now he goes on to close out this article before we move on to the consumer reports. He goes, "I know what the millennials are thinking. The, the job market stinks right now. Right. You know, we're in this horrible economy. We're in this horrible job market. I'm barely making ends meet. How can I be saving anything? You know, and hopefully down the road I will be making more money, but." Here's the thing. Save something. Right. Remember, you're getting $20 for every dollar that you invest. So even if you're only putting $20 a month into an investment, that's going to be worth substantial sums of money just because of the exponential growth, the 20 times growth that those assets are likely to see in the future. I think we were talking about the other day, Brian. You know, you, you had started a You Promise account for your daughters mm-hmm. back you know, a number of years ago, and you were talking about how it's just a little, a percentage off of consumption that gets funded in that You Promise account. But even though it's just a small amount, you've been doing it for long enough now, you were pretty amazed to see how quickly it had built up and how much is actually in there. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have <laughs> it's well over $1,000. And I start thinking, you know, my, my children, I, my oldest daughter is 10 and my youngest is soon to be four. You start thinking about it, it's not it's not like a retirement where I'm going to get that nine to twenty time, nine to eighteen times growth that we were talking about right. in exponential, but I don't think it's unrealistic to think that I might not get five five times growth. Right. And so you think about that if I've got twelve to fifteen hundred dollars in this you promise account that's all because of consumption, meaning I'm getting two percent five percent back on online purchases. There's nothing that says that that can't be worth between five to eight thousand dollars. By the time my kids go to college, I mean, my oldest daughter, I mean, that, that's pretty incredible. If you start thinking about that is that, Hey, maybe, maybe a, a, a semester of tuition gets paid just because I used a, an online shopping tool. And then the funny thing that I, I've, cause I always tell all my friends that when they tell me they want to start investing, I say, start with a number you know you can do. Don't, don't make yourself a stretch goal. Start with a number you know you can do easy. Maybe it's $20 a month. Maybe it's $50, whatever you can start with. And it's amazing. They kind of start on that path, and they sort of get addicted to it a little exactly. bit. They get those monthly account statements. They don't ever miss the money, and I love those phone calls, and they say, hey, you think I should increase it? Yeah. Hey, you think I should go from 50 to 100? Hey, 100 to 200? It's a fun, fun conversation to have because they kind of realize, wow, this stuff actually works. Well, you're hoping you change the mindset. You and I, I mean, that's why we did the podcast on that peer-to-peer lending a while back is that you're hoping people catch the bug. Right. Personal finance is one of those things where you can get addicted to it. And we, we talk about you don't ever see a Dr. Phil show. You don't ever see a Maury. You don't ever see anybody talking about doing a show on the negative side effects of becoming addicted to saving money because um, they'll do a show on, you know, addictions to food, to, you know, alcohol, drugs, all these different things, consumption, even you can be addicted to shopping. Right. I mean, there's no limit to what they'll, t- they'll do a show on these, these crazy talk shows about, but you'll never hear them talking about being addicted to savings because those are the people, when you do hear about them, 
they're usually people that are empire builders. Or it's that crazy story of somebody who gave a legacy donation to a university. They lived in a house, modest lifestyle, and then they gave $30 million to a university. You go, how is that possible? These are people that were addicted to saving. Now, I think there's a balance. Mm -hmm. You don't want to squander your life not enjoying life. And that's why I think you, you, you do, you know, those, those thresholds where you try to pay yourself first and do other things so you have the freedom to feel like you can spend the rest of the money. That way, if you want to go buy a car or if you want to go on a family vacation or if you want to, you know, splurge on some things, you don't have to feel guilty because you've already taken care of, of the foundation of what you need to be saving for in the future. Um, let's talk about this Consumer Reports article. It's, it's titled How to Grow to Your, Grow Your Savings. I don't even know what word that was, but how to grow your savings, stop 401k fees from cheating you out of retirement money. So first they started off. I thought it was interesting. I like when articles, and I think it's for the ADHD people like me who really are, you know, we're distracted easily by those squirrels, you know, using the old up reference that, you know, I can get distracted very easily. So whenever I open up a magazine, and they have a box over there on the side. I get distracted by that immediately. <laughs> so the first thing I focused on was signs. They had the box on the side of the article that said signs of a dud 401k. And here's what they had in with bullet points. You have no index funds. And that's a key point. If you don't have index funds in your 401k, I would be wondering what's going on here. You know, index funds are easy. Um, you know, if you're talking about large cap U.S. stocks, there's nothing wrong with index funds because those are very efficient markets. Let's try to save as much money as possible, and that's what index funds will do. They're very low cost. Um, if your fund expense ratio of most of your funds is over 1%. Now, I do want to give you just one disclaimer on that, is I completely agree that 1% ought to be your threshold for the, you know, less than 1% for the total portfolio right. makeup, meaning that if you smushed all your holdings together, you're hoping that that internal expense ratio comes in, you know, a little over half a percent and definitely, you know, and under three quarters of, of 1%. Uh, but be aware, there are certain asset classes that will probably be over 1%. And I'm talking about international, I'm talking about small cap, and I'm talking about some of the specialty funds. They might, and the reason is, just because I want to give you the cause and effect, they have more trading costs. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're turning over the portfolio more, um, there's going to be trading costs. Also, if you're more in more inefficient markets, there might have to be more money that goes into research and um, travel costs and, and administration. So those things are reasonable, but you need to make sure you're getting the additional alpha, um, the better rate of return from by picking up those additional asset classes. So that's just me editorializing on one of the key points here. Delayed vesting of employer match. So if you have a, a fund that, that really doesn't offer you much benefit of being in the plan by, by having a very delayed um, match, that could be a sign. Um, I'll tell you, I think that's a sign because it shows you have an old plan too. You typically don't, most of your new plans, because they want to avoid the, the testing, um, the, the top heavy testing, they will be safe harbor plans. If you, if you work for a small business owner and those, the money is yours immediately, unless we're talking about profit sharing, which is gravy. That's a good thing if right. they have a vesting schedule on that, because that means you're getting the safe harbor plus the, the profit sharing. Um, matches, matches only in company stock. You know, that's not a good sign. You know, we've talked about, I know y'all have heard us talk about on the podcast. You already have a lot of risk tied up when you work for a company. All of your human capital, essentially. You don't want to have your financial capital tied into that same company. Not a ton of it, anyways. Nothing wrong with taking advantage of those, um, 
you know, those, those stock purchase plans. Right, where they offer you, you some know, discount maybe. They give maybe. you 15 to 20% off of your purchase. That's a good thing. But just make sure you have a cycle that brings that down to where it's not exceeding really 5 to 7% of your total holdings. Um, the funds are not diversified. I see this all the time. I mean, I still remember my sister-in-law contacted me. She She's a flight attendant for one of the larger airlines out there, and she called me, and her 401K, when I reviewed it, was all these, I think she chose every fund that had the word growth in it. <laughs> they were all doing the same thing, but they all had the word growth in it. And I asked her, I said, Jessica, what was going on with this? And she's like, it said growth. I wanted to grow. I wanted growth. You know, I, mean, I felt like I could take the risk. So I bought something. So she had, you know, she had like, well, I don't want to use the titles because you'll figure out what the funds are, but it is interesting. Make sure you know what the funds are doing and make sure you have diversification. I have seen 401ks where they'll essentially have seven large cap funds and then they won't have any, you know, small cap, won't have too much international, won't have hardly any bonds, won't have, you know, real estate or some of the other alternative classes that you might be able to add to, to really add a little touch of diversification. Right. Um, so, so that's a good point, not having a lot of diversification. And then low or non-existent employer match. You know, you want, you want to see some type of match in the plan. But I wouldn't let that, because a lot of times, and this is where we see this a lot with like 403B plans, if you work for a government entity or a school or a hospital, sometimes their 403Bs won't have a match associated with them because of various reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't make sense for you because there still is a huge tax benefit to participating. But you just want to look in there and make sure that there are some decent investment options and kind of the other five or six check marks have been checked off. But the, I wouldn't let that be the sole decision maker on whether or not you participate in your plan. Because saving is saving, and if you can do it in the most efficient way to stick it to Uncle Sam, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and, and something I meant to talk about in the previous article we were doing is that I think so often with investing, especially because we have this recency bias, because we went through this horrible downturn from 2008 on, is that everybody just thinks everything's negative when we're talking about investing. And what you see is, is that, you know, just because you don't have a match doesn't mean it's necessarily a horrible plan. Um, there, we've seen some plans that have Roth options in it, built into them that might be really low cost, like with a bunch of Vanguard or ETF type funds in there, low cost options. And sometimes there's some huge benefits, especially if you are a prolific saver. If you can, you know, put a lot of money into Roth assets where they grow completely tax-free until retirement, uh, really are some benefits. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, getting back to that article and the, the Debbie Downer thing, I even had the the whole theme music lined up, but no reason to go back and, and backtrack on that. But I thought it was interesting that a lot of the people who had written comments to Morgan, the author of that article, and by the way, he did a great job of responding. He to every did. Problem. I read, I read I mean, those same things. Morgan was on it. So Morgan, if you know, if you listen to this podcast, which it sounds like you you track your social media, wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear from you. But Morgan really did a good job of responding to all the people who wrote comments. But some of them talking about Debbie Downers, just people having that recency bias and thinking everything that has to do with investing is negative. And and I just want to remind you because it ties perfectly into this Consumer Reports article. When you save, especially in the beginning, yeah, it's going to feel like the lion's share of your accounts is your contributions. And that's probably true, especially when you're going through a market like we've been going through from 2008 to now, where it really is a volatile roller coaster. But that's not a big deal, especially for those of you who are still 20, 30, maybe even 40 years from retirement, because your ultimate goal is to build up enough account balance 
that when it does hit those historical returns, because it will, everything always, you know, I think things will return to some normalcy of some type. There's just too much technology, um, innovation, right. uh, globalization of the world for, for growth to just stop. You're just not going to see it because there's too many good things going on in the world that as those things hit your portfolio, you're hoping your basket's big enough. That, like I said, you're making more from the investments than you are from your hands, your, you know, in your, in your head and your back. And, and that's the big thing that recency bias is killing a lot of young investors, Bo. And I worry about your gener, you know, well, the generation even younger than you. Right. That just, they don't get it mm-hmm. because they, they've been through a negative experience and, and they're hiding from it. Right. One of the comments I saw also was saying, what do I do? I don't want to put it in the bank. Go check out target retirement funds. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're very simple. You, most of your 401ks will have a life cycle fund where you choose the year you think you want to retire. They already do the diversification for you. It's really only when you get your assets over 300000 that we think a professional money manager like us can can add value. And we and we add value by getting you in asset classes that you probably couldn't get into and by yourself on the retail side. And we, you know, we also get access to institutional funds by buying in bulk. Those are the things. But when you're when you're just saving that base level, you need to focus on building up the asset level. That's that's the most important thing. Here's what the Consumer Reports article jumped in, and this is going to be an echo of what what Morgan had put together. I thought it was hilarious to me is that they referenced the same research data, even though these are completely different pieces. It said an American wage earner pulling in about fifty thousand dollars in adjusted gross income each year will need seven to ten times that amount up to $500,000 to maintain a similar lifestyle and retirement financial planner's estimate. By the way, I think that is crazy. I think it's going to need more than that. Yeah, I mean, we use a withdrawal rate of 4 to 5%, you know, to be conservative, because my thought is you'd never want to have that conversation with a client where you say, by the way, you're, you're going to have to live off potatoes for the rest of your right. life. I mean, that's just not a conversation you want to have. So to say that you only need 10 times what you make, I guess they're counting in that maybe there's a pension or there is a social security, right. something that's going to help fill in that void. For younger investors, I don't know if you can count on that, so I'd be careful only having 10 times what you make. Um, it goes on to say, but a survey this spring by the Employee Benefit Research Institute found that 57% of American households have less than $25,000 in savings and investments. You remember the previous study said 60% or less than 60%. Right. So there's the 57%. And it's the same research. That cracks me up. And about two-thirds of households with 55 to 64-year-olds, that's the group closest to retirement age, the average saved amount was not even equal to a year's income. So that's that's kind of a scary thing. So why this dire reality? For one, only about 60% of workers younger than 65 have access to a workplace retirement account. So so I would I would interpret that as if you have access to a retirement plan, you're you're in the you're in the part of the part of the population you want to be in. I mean, consider yourself lucky to have access to a retirement plan. Yeah, it gives you a, one of the few tax advantage ways to hide money legally. Notice the word the, use the word legally from the government, and the government wants you saving for retirement. Why do they offer all these tax benefits? Why do they offer Roth accounts? Why do they offer tax deferred growth? The reason is is they know you need to be building financial independence for yourself. So that's why the government says, hey. We're going to give you a loophole, a completely legal loophole, and it's called retirement savings, so make sure you take advantage of it. But it goes on, it says, among workers 18 to 34 years old, 56% are not saving for retirement at all. Do you hear the ticking clock 
of people wasting that opportunity, that value, that 18 times growth, that exponential growth we heard just because 56% are not even saving for their future. That's scary as heck to me. Mm-hmm. Um, of those who are saving, many defer just 3% of income to their 401ks. The typical default option says a 2012 report by the Employee Benefit Research Institute. What I find interesting, we do retirement plans. We do retirement plans for what I call professions. I mean, we do with medical field jobs. Mm-hmm. And these are professionals who make decent money. Financial companies. Financial companies, legal companies. I mean, these are all jobs that you're not just scraping by. It's a highly educated workforce. These are, these are, these are people who have a skill set. And I am shocked that the average is 3%. That's exactly right. People do the minimum to get by. And, you know, and it doesn't matter until if I say it until I'm blue, you know, blue in the face, 15 to 20%. And I don't, believe me, I understand when I say that 15, 20%, I'm not just talking about all your retirement account. That's just a portion of it. But you would like to think that people would be doing more than 3%. Because yeah. I know our plans are good. I mean, mm-hmm. we're putting in the index funds. We're putting in the life cycle funds. We're putting in the, the things that I think the diversification that a, a, a retirement plan needs. And I'm shocked. When people just do the minimum to get the match, I guess I ought to be happy they're doing the match. I guess. So. I mean, three percent is certainly better than, than zero, but it's not as good as fifteen. That's kind of the moral of the story here. So, if you have a bad retirement plan, this is what you know. Consumer Reports says what you can do. Now, this is not how to change the plan. This is just telling you know. This is kind of a love the one you're 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 with type mentality. Um, so it says first, take the free money and run. Invest the minimum needed for the full company match, often 6% of your gross income for a 3% match. Put other savings, meaning that I guess to fill out that, that what they consider 10%, I consider 15 to 20%, put the other savings in a Roth or a traditional IRA composed of low-cost funds. The next thing you could do is diversify but simplify. Consider a target date retirement fund composed of low-cost index funds. That's something we've talked like about it. in the past. Avoid too much company stock. We've already kind of taken the air out of this one too because we've already talked about it. If you plan, if your if your plan matches in company stock, rebalance regularly to shift those shares to five to ten percent of the total. It's unwise to depend on the same company for your investment gains and your livelihood. And then the last thing they have here on what you can do is up your ante. Most people younger than forty should have com- should have a combined contribution. What's taken from their pay plus their what their employer provides of at least 10% of their income. Now, remember, I think that's low. Right. I think that would be great if you had a pension to also, you know, supplement that 10% plus uh, an assurance that Social Security is going to be there. But there's no – anybody who's under the age of 50, there's no assurance that you're right. going to get the same Social Security that your parents have gotten. Um, if you're older than 40 and behind on your savings goal, put away at least 15%. The maximum allowable 401k contribution for 2013 is 17,500 for the, and for those over 50, it's $23,000 this year. Um, it, here's a little bit, cause you know, we focused on the young people a lot in all these discussions, but here's something they threw in there. I thought that was a good calculation. It said, for even workers without the benefit of time, they can fatten up their bottom line by slightly enriching their investment. A 57 year old doubling a $3,000 contribution to a $6,000, so essentially raising your contribution from three dollars to $6,000 a year, could raise his savings from almost $47,000 in 10 years to $94,000, wow. assuming you make about 8% a year. 
So that, that's nice that, you know, just showing is not really a bad time to right. start saving for the future. Um, just some tips that Consumer Reports put out there. If you want to try to convince your employer to change the plan, here's what they put together. If you want to change your 401k lineup, follow these steps. First, find out who the fiduciary of the plan is. 401ks, 403bs, and most retirement plans are required to have a fiduciary, somebody who has to act in the participant's best interest when they're working on this plan. And you'll typically know who they are by looking at the 5500, and you can go to Brightscope. If you do a Google search for Brightscope, you can do some research on your plan to find out who the, you know, the, who the fiduciary of the plan is. You can then collect documents. You know, you should get an annual disclosure from your 401k um, that's by, due by August 30th that talks to you about the funds, talks about their performance, both on a, a one-year, 10-year, three, you know, one, five, and 10-year basis, as well as their fee structure. Um, research new funds. Can, you know, if, if you have very high-cost funds, go see if there's some better alternatives. Maybe this is where if you don't have index funds, you go and you throw those in the mix, especially on the large cap side. And then you write a letter to that fiduciary. Whoever you find out that is, write a letter and then get your friends to write letters. Yep. And that, that's probably the first step in trying to get some changes made. But hopefully you guys, you know, we put together the importance of starting early and the importance of thinking about financial independence and saving for the future in retirement. And you got some benefit out of it. Um, I, I want you, if you, if you like what we talked about, go post some comments on the website. That's money-guy.com. Or you can go out to, you know, keep us relevant, go out to iTunes, give us some positive feedback if you don't mind, and then you're always welcome to write the show. Once again, my, my email address is brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Of course, Bo over here, B-O at money-guy.com. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.